Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give. Amen. Let's lift Him up today. Hey, stay seated, or stay standing, stay standing. Uh, let's just uh, pray together as we start off. Some of you already sat down. It's all right. You can stand back up here. Uh, let's start off just by asking for God's presence today in this place. And I'm going to stretch you a little bit. Um, as we pray, would we just signify our openness to God speaking to us by just kind of holding out our hands with our palms up saying, God, give me your word today. So would you do that with me? Let's just pray together. Jesus, thank you so much. God, we submit ourselves to you as a holy, perfect God and acknowledge that we are far from holy and we are far from perfect. God, thank you so much that we can stand in your presence. And God, we know that we cannot change ourselves. Uh, at this point, we realize, God, we've, we've done what we can and we cannot do it alone. God, we need the power of your spirit. God, we can't even understand the scriptures and make sense of them in our lives without your help. So God, we need you. God, we need an encounter with our creator. We need you to change us and, and make us and mold us today. Father, be here in this place. Challenge us. Get into the deep parts of our heart. And we pray you change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, hey, we're so glad that you're here today. If you're brand new to ACF, um, man, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. My name is Brian, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Before we get too much into the text today, I want to uh, direct your attention to the, the uh, reading plan, the masterclass reading plan. It should be in the seat in front of you somewhere. If you're with us online, uh, that link is also in the resources tab online as well. But uh, make this the summer that you lean in instead of away from God. Uh, can we do that together as a church family? I know summer in Alaska. Alaska is it's short and it goes fast and we're, we're kind of it's manic depressive in this state right we're just crazy and then the fall hits and we try to kind of make up for lost time but uh, the, the challenge for us as a church family is that this would be the summer that we lean in and not away from God this would be the summer that uh, we actually grow in our faith and so our team has put together a great reading plan for you if you're the kind of person that would say I don't read the Bible because I don't know where to begin now you know where to begin every day your reading is lined out for you and we're just we're memorizing the book of James, working on that together. Uh, we are reading through the text together. We're getting daily devotions and uh, just growing together in that way. And so uh, there's just a, a whole list of ways to, to engage with this text throughout your week in that booklet. And so make sure you take one of those home uh, today as well. Uh, but we are, we are in a series called Masterclass, and uh, this is a journey through the book of James. And today's a really big day for us because we're having baptism, which is amazing. Uh, we're, yeah, we're, we're excited about that. Uh, we've already seen nine people get baptized, which is incredible. Uh, if you don't know what baptism is, it's a, it's a symbol of our death and resurrection into Christ. That's all it is. When we go under the water, it's like the old me is dead. And as we come up out of the water, it's signifying that now I'm alive in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And, and uh, what, I mean, this is a, what you need to know, because we're just saying holy water, is this is not holy water. Uh, this comes from, I think, a Klutna reservoir or something like that. It's just, it, this is tap water, right? Brandon filled it up for us today. Tap water, right, Brandon? You might have prayed over it a little bit, but it's just, it's just tap water. So um, it's not the water that does the work. It's Jesus that does the work work, okay? So know this, baptism doesn't save you. You're no more saved once you get baptized than before you were baptized. But listen to this, baptism is what saved people do. As we look throughout the, the story of the, the church, the, the, the historical story of how God's people have, have engaged with what God has done in their hearts, the very first step is baptism. And, and you might be here today and you've been in the church a week or 20 years and have never been baptized, but you have made a decision to follow Jesus. We want to help you out with that today. Uh, in fact, at any point in the service, you can head back to the table in the lobby. They'll get you a t-shirt. We've got shorts. We've got everything you need to get baptized here today and go public with your faith. And so I just want you to know if maybe you think, man, I should, should have done this years ago. Don't let pride keep you from obeying Jesus. Uh, don't let pride keep you from that. Uh, Jesus got baptized 
And so we tend to think what Jesus did, we should do it as well. Uh, if Jesus got baptized, then we should as well. And so I want to encourage you to do that today um, if you've never been, never been baptized. Um, th- this is a really cool season for us as a church. I mean, how cool is it to see humans again? Like I still, every week I get up here and I'm like, look at your shiny faces here. I see people. Uh, it's just exciting to see you. Our church is really um, growing and changing in this season. Um, we've got our, our Wednesday night church plant that we launched a little while ago, and that's growing. And, and uh, I see a lot of new people. We just did Crash Course a few weeks ago. And if you don't know what that is, that is basically uh, everything about ACF in just a couple hours. And it also is some ways for you to continue to grow in your faith and, and equip you to, uh, to grow as a disciple. So it's a really great course, and it was packed. Uh, we just continue to see people showing up and not just coming to church, but serving, being a part of the church family. Like you guys are, you guys are showing up going, what can I do? How can I be a part of the mission? In fact, just I'm really curious in this room, if you've been part of ACF or coming to this church for less than a year, would you just slip your hand up real quick in the room? Okay. So about half of you. Okay. That was about like first service. About half of you are brand new. Uh, and I just, I, I think it's just, this is a beautiful series for you to get a sense of, uh, of not just what we're about, but what really following Jesus is about. Because the book of James is challenging. And I would say in general, we, we try to be a lot like the book of James in that we, we are a challenging church. Like if you're looking for a pastor to just get up here and, and, and make you feel good about yourself, you're probably in the wrong church. I'll be real with you right now. So your next step may be to find a new church. I don't know. That's okay if that's the case. But we really are a church on a mission. We really see that our city is in desperate need of hearing the gospel. Uh, We see that there are so many things that God's people are intended to do in this society to make a difference. And so we're going to be pushing and challenging. And and this is really what the book of James does. Uh, James is Jesus' half-brother. And James watched Jesus grow up and and, and turn into this incredible leader. And, And he learned from Jesus and so he's, he's actually giving us a master class on, on what it looks like to follow the teachings of Jesus, what it looks like to have a real, authentic faith. And if you haven't been stretched so far in this series, you will be today and over the next few weeks. Because James is really going to force us to deal with the reality of our faith by looking at the way that we live. And, and if, if you've been a part of ACF for any extended amount of time, what you will hear over and over again is that our faith is not just about becoming morally superior to the people around us. It's actually about being transformed from the inside out. It's this idea that when God gets a hold of your heart, you can't help but live different. And so, and so you, you need to know that because as we walk into this text, he's going to say, and you should live, live different. And you should do things different. And your life should change when you follow Jesus. And we have to be honest. If our lives aren't different after we choose to follow Jesus, then maybe we didn't follow Jesus. Maybe we didn't make a real commitment to follow him. And so that's really where we're going to go today. So open up a Bible, open up the ACF Church app. You can follow along with there. I always encourage you to read this text. It's going to be on the screen, but hey, I can put anything on the screen. You never know, right? I could be making this stuff up. So open your Bible and and you read it for yourself and and let God speak to you through that. We're in James chapter 1, verse 26. He's going to say this about religion. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious, And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. So he starts off, and and he's going to move into this section of chapter 1, where he's going to really, once again, take an audit of our faith. He's going to force us to to deal with our faith, and he's going to give us some tests for our faith. It's almost like an MRI for our Christianity or our religion. Uh, which I don't know if that's something that you, you, you never wake up on Saturday morning and you're like, what am I going to do today? Maybe go get an MRI. That sounds like a lot of fun, right? It's not something we want, but what MRIs do is they show us what's going on in the inside, right? And this is what James is trying to do, is show us what's happening on the inside of our hearts. And he starts off with our, with our tongues, the power of what we say. And I don't want to get into this very much because here in a few weeks we're going to talk about this extensively because James is really going to hit that really, really hard. But, but all that to say, he's just saying, like, don't lie to yourself. Because even in, in the first century, there were people who were calling themselves Jesus followers who weren't really following Jesus, who were saying, no, I love God, but, but didn't actually live in such a way that God's love was flowing out of their lives. And, and just like in the church today, there can be a tendency to say, well, I go to church. I got baptized when I was seven years old. And, you know, I have a couple Bibles in the house. I'm a Christian. 
James would say, are you now? Are you now? Is your religion real or is it worthless? You see, we tend to fool ourselves. And so James knows we need a way to tell. We need a test for, an MRI for our faith to see if it's actually authentic. And so it turns out that what we say, the power of our words, is an indication of the authenticity of our faith. So when I ask you, is your faith real or is it worthless? Do you, right here as you sit, what is your first response? Do you have a real faith or is it a worthless faith? Because once again, we've all deceived ourselves before. In fact, I was reading a book this week that kind of talked about deceiving ourselves. He said this, if ignorance is bliss, wrote the teacher on the boys' school report, then this pupil is going to be the happiest person in the world. (laughs) I love that quote. Some of you could assign that to yourself. You're like, I love ignorance. It is great. I mean, some of you have some stuff going on in your life, and you're like, nope, just going to act like that's not there right now. Ain't nobody got time for what's going on in my marriage, so I'm just going to brush that under the rug. I'm just going to act like that's not here. I think we all do this when it comes to our faith. Verse 27 really is the crux of where we're going to get at today. He says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Religion that is pure and undefiled. So what do you think about when you think of the word religion? In fact, I was asking a couple of the band members uh, this. I was like, hey, what if I called you religious? How would you feel about that? And they were all like, eh, no, I don't like that. And now some of you, that, it's a positive word. No, religion's good. I've got religion. Religion's a, a positive thing. Others of you would say, no, it's got a negative connotation. And, and that's certainly, I would say, more so the case today for us. Is we, when we hear the word religion, we think of something that's really negative, The word religion here comes from a Greek word, threskia, which means a ritualistic form of worship. Once again, ritualistic. So some of you, when you hear the word ritualistic, you're like, that's that's what I did growing up. I don't want any more rituals in my life. So we can tend to throw the word out, but I want to propose that we don't. We don't throw out the word ritual or the word religion because both of those words in and of themselves are not bad. It's okay to have rituals in the sense that we do things in a a religious and ritualistic way. So your ritual on Sunday may be to get up, get some breakfast, hang out with the family a little bit, and come to church. That's okay. That's okay. But if you do that without a heart to get to know God, like if you showed up here when I said, hey, hold your hands out and just ask God to speak to you today, you're like, yeah, I'm just thinking about lunch then you've ended up into in an empty ritual, right? It's a pointless ritual. The same is true of of religion. Anything we do religiously, it it can be okay as long as we're doing it for the right reasons. Like if you religiously go to church, if you religiously read your Bible, whatever it is, but if it's a, a thing that you do, an action that's not coming from an inward change, then it's an empty, worthless religion. Does that make sense? So when James talks about religion, he's talking about an outward change that comes, an outward uh, lifestyle that comes from an inward change. It's actually, it's, it's something that flows from within because God has changed our hearts. Now God's people have always been tempted to lean more towards the, the rituals than they have toward having a real relationship. And this has always been the case. As God gives them the law, what they tended to do was follow these laws, but then worship other gods. And create their own gods to worship. Uh, in Hosea 6.6, 6, it says, For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You see, God has always desired our love. That's all from the beginning of the story. And you might read the Old Testament and be like, man, there's a lot of rules and a lot of laws. But even in that, all of those things were meant to flow from a transformed heart. A heart that sees God as our provider, the one who cares for us, the one who created us. The law has always been about love. And I think we could say that the truth is, in our lives, the same is true. We're tempted to follow the rules without real love. We're tempted to try to be morally superior to other people and and, and use that as a gauge as to whether or not our faith is real when, when, when we're just doing certain things so that we could look more religious or look like we've got our lives together. And James isn't proposing that. As he's gonna he's gonna cause us to take an MRI of our faith, he's not proposing, hey, just be better. Just do better. Sin less, do more good stuff. That's not the point of this. He's saying, 
You need to know the love of God in such a deep way today that you can't help but walk away from church changed. And so if you, if you miss everything else in my sermon, would you look up here real quick? I want you to hear something. God loves you so much. He loves you so much. And he, he really has done everything to, to build a relationship with you. And he wants to know you. And, and he's not just in heaven angry with you trying to toss lightning bolts at your life and mess, mess everything up. Like God really wants to know you. He wants to meet you right here and right now. And when we get that and we realize that, we go, God wants to know me because I know me and sometimes I wish I didn't. But God wants to know me. I can't believe God wants to know me. When we get that, what flows from our lives is love. And when we begin to love God, when we're a church that's known, man, people around the community are like, you know what, ACF? They love God a lot. And the way they would say that is because they go, because we feel loved. Like, I want a community that feels so loved that they're like, man, they must love their God a lot because of the way that they love us. But things will we'll never do that well. We will never succeed at the goals that we have if we don't actually love God first. You see, law following without love is always limited. You're never going to go that far for the law. When it comes to just doing good things or being a good person, like, I mean, you're never really going to go that far. You're going to do just enough to feel good about yourself, and then you're going to stop. That's, that's, that, that's, that's what we all do, right? Just enough to feel good, and then we stop. It's always a limited sort of behavior. But when we love people because God loved us first, it's unlimited. I mean, we'll do ridiculous things sometimes for other people when we really get God's love for us and it flows into others. Now, he, he talks in this text specifically about widows and orphans. Now, widows and orphans would have been the most vulnerable people of their society, the most needy people of their society. And he, he goes to these two, two types of people, people groups, and he says, your love for them is a reflection of how much you've received God's love in your life. Widows and orphans. And as you read through the biblical text, what you see is that God has always had a soft heart for widows and for orphans. And, and now, uh, these two people groups, I think it was a little harder in their society than even today, although it's very difficult today. Uh, for widows in their society, they would have been completely discarded. Uh, really, for, for women who were married to a man, everything that they had came through the husband. And really, the ownership of their house and all of their stuff was through the husband. And so if the husband would die, then that widow would be left with nothing. It wasn't like today where maybe there was a will or the husband had like, you know, retirement plan or not retirement plan, a, a will through his work or whatever. And so then they would, they would give that to the wife or try to care for her in some way or another. No, women were completely discarded when they lost their husband. And the same for orphans. There wasn't care for orphans like there can be today, although we've got a long ways to go. Uh, even the foster care system that we have today, it's as broken as it can be. At least there's a system for it. They didn't have that. So these kids are on the street with no protector, no provider, no one to care for them. And the first people that James says, hey, if your religion's real, you know who you're going to care for is these people. And I think he goes to these two people groups because he, he's like, hey, it's obvious that they have need. It's so very clear that they have need. And why wouldn't you do something about that? Why wouldn't you lean in if you have received love from God? Now, when we start talking about this stuff in the church today, caring for the needy and the widows and the orphans and all of this stuff, the term that comes up is justice. Now, when I say the word justice, what many of you do is put the word social before it, right? Because that's the word that's thrown around a lot in our society today, and especially over the past year or two, is social justice. And even that word, when we have social justice, many of you put the word warrior at the end, right? SJWs, right? Somebody who's like really good on the keyboard, but does nothing with their real life, which is exactly what James is talking about, by the way. Christians who can post really cool stuff on the internet, like, oh, Jesus meme, and then they do nothing different with their actual life. And so this idea of justice, I want to talk about this for a minute, because I'm afraid that in the church, we've kind of thrown the word out because of all the politics, like, because of all the, all the things that have gone on, and, and maybe, maybe depending on your political leaning, you might really kind of flinch at the word justice. But here's what you need to know, church, 
is that justice was not created by some kind of politician or political system. It was created by God himself. No amens on that. That's okay. We have a God of justice. Like, thank you, thank you. I'll, I'll call it out all day long. Just feed me here. Give me but no, l- listen, like we have a God of justice. God created justice. And the way that lands on you, it'll land on you different depending on how you see yourself. Trust me. Like when you see that God is a God of justice, it, it's going to land on you different depending on how needy you think that you are. Because I honestly think that when he talks about caring for widows and orphans, the reason, one of the reasons God brings up these two people groups through James is because we are all the widows and the orphans. Like we are all the fatherless apart from God. We are the discarded, the, those that have no protection, no care. We are spiritually orphans without God. Hopeless, lost, needy. And so again, like when we go, okay, justice is a good thing. God is a God of justice. We should immediately think of ourselves and our own story and go, praise God, he's a God of justice for me. Praise God, he cared about my need and my situation. If you don't know what justice is, if you're like, what is justice? Justice is simply when we are generous to someone who is in a greater need than we are. It's just acting generous and caring for someone in a greater need than we are. Now, when I think of justice or I think of a situation where someone is vulnerable or needy, I'm going to be really honest with you. This is, and I put it on the screen just to be super real at church, this is my first response. I sure hope someone does something. When you see a need, when you're like, man, oh, that's really, that's terrible. <sighs> that person's really broken or that's a really bad situation. I sure hope someone does something. I tend to think it's somebody else's job to enact justice in the world. Or, or the classic one is this, let me just pray about it. Come on, church people, you've used this one before, right? Like, let me pray about it. Hey, do you want to go help feed the homeless? Let me pray about that. Got a lot going on, right? Do you want to help out in ACF kids, teaching kids about Jesus? Let me pray about that. Got to pray about that. I mean, I think sometimes we go, oh, I'm having good boundaries, but really we're just being disobedient. Now, I get it. Like, I am all for having, you know, good balance in life, but there, are, there is a time where if I look at my life and I'm like, I don't live acting justly towards people who are vulnerable in any way in my life, and I just am convinced, my, convinced myself I'm too busy, Ain't nobody got time for that, right? Or I hope someone else does something. But Proverbs 3.27 says this. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Don't withhold it. I think, I think here's, here's one of the tragedies in the church is that we are way more powerful than we realize. I think God has given us way more resources than we even know. Like we are, we are richer and have more resources than most of the planet. God, God has given us more, more intellect and more skills and more understanding. Even for you, if you've been a believer for five minutes, you have something to offer somebody who is not yet a believer or who's been a believer for three minutes, right? You always have something to give. There is always something in your power that you can do. And I know the excuses sometimes you're like, well, I can't help everybody, Brian. I'm not asking you to help everybody, but can you help someone? Can you do something? And maybe you're looking at our our city and you're like, well, Brian, widows and orphans, what does that look like in Eagle River? Well, um, there are certainly uh, men and women whose spouses have passed away. Uh, We have people like that in our church who we try to care for and in our community. There are certain children in our community that don't have parents uh, we have, again, we talked about the foster care system. Some of you have adopted children before. It's a beautiful uh, thing to do, just to care for that child. And so there, there is that, but I just want you to know there's way more than that. And the danger would be to read this text and go, well, James is just saying, if I care for widows and orphans, then my religion is real. My faith is real. But what James is doing is he's giving you a couple of ways that your religion can be shown, but he's not showing you the only ways. Does that make sense? Like, he's not giving you the only way. So, so you may be helping out in the foster care system and be far from God. You might, be, you might have adopted a child, and yet you do not love God. But what James is saying is that these are a couple things that you might be doing if your faith is real. And I want you to know, in Eagle River, there is a lot of hopelessness. 
Don't be fooled by the manicured yards and the well-painted houses and the, the HOAs that make sure all the hedges are trimmed perfectly and all of that. Like, don't be fooled by that. I want you to know this is a broken city. This is a broken community. That the longer that I serve here in this community, the more need I see. And you will not see it. If you want to shield yourself from it, you can do that. If you don't ask good questions at work, if you don't talk to your friends about the deeper things that are going on in their lives, if you don't actually get to know people on a deep level and you just have sort of superficial relationships with people around here, you're going to be like, Eagle River is just the happiest place on earth. It's great. Families are great. Everybody's great, right? Because you don't always see the husband and the wife like duking it out in the street, right? They're doing it in their living room, right? You don't always see the, the child that's being abused happening out in the street. It's happening behind closed doors. So you just need to know, even beyond that, that we have a spiritual need in our community. That there are people that you know and love that are around you all the time that desperately need to hear about the grace of Jesus and nobody's told them. Nobody's spent time with them. Nobody has lived in such a way to reflect the good news of God in their lives and that makes them vulnerable. And they might be the neediest person in your life. So the question is, what are you doing about it? In the early church, um, they were doing a lot of good things. They were, they were caring for one another. In fact, Acts 4.32, this is the church that James is writing to. He's, these are things that are going on at the same time. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Check that out. So like all their stuff, they're like, what's mine is yours. It's a cool church to be a part of where everybody shares and meets needs. It's like, hey, I've got extra food. You don't have enough food. Take some of my food, right? I've got something that you need. They just had it in common. Now, some of you, when you read this, you're like, that's socialism, you know? Chill out, relax. This is not socialism. This is not like, this is because they loved one another, right? This is not being mandated. But it turns out that when God's love infiltrates a group of people, they get really generous. That's just kind of what happens. They just start to meet needs and they, they, they have open hands with what God has given them because God has given them so much. And they see themselves as so blessed by God, even, even if they have a little bit, that they hold that stuff with open hands, and that's what was happening in the early church. And I believe this is how the church grew, is the church was living in a, such a way that the community saw that, now that's justice. That's what it means to care for one another. And, and I want you to know that our friends and neighbors here in Alaska, and for those of you who are watching online, wherever, online, wherever you are, that our friends and neighbors will notice when we live as a church that cares for the needy. And I'm not just talking about the poor. I'm not just talking about the homeless. I'm talking about anybody with a need. That we notice that and we say, I can do something about that. See, the tendency is as God kind of grows our resources and as we gain knowledge about Christianity and theology in, in our faith, that we would think, well, we will become more of a teacher, more of someone who's caring, more generous with our lives. But I just promise you that that does not happen on its own. That you can actually kind of get more knowledge. In fact, the, 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 the scriptures say this, that knowledge can puff you up, make you feel like you're a really good Christian when really you don't love God at all. You just know some Bible verses. And, and the, the idea, once again, that, that you would have more resources, God would put more in your hand, and that maybe then you'd be more generous. Have, have you ever felt that way? Like when I get into this tax bracket, then I'm going to be generous. Or once I pay off that little bit of debt, then I'll be more generous. And I want you to look at your life, and you'll probably see a track record of that not being the case at all. And the studies that I've read say the very same thing, that as people get more financial stability, as people become more rich, they do not become more generous at all. And in fact, it, it kind of gets worse. That's why Jesus warns us of our finances and says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Like, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a burden there with finances, that we become more confident in ourselves. And in fact, we can even use our finances as a reason that other people should serve us. But listen to this. I believe that your resources don't qualify you to be served. They actually qualify you to sacrifice. What if God put whatever it is in your hand so that you could learn how to give it away? 
And now once again, it's like we're not a poverty gospel church either. We don't say, well, if you have money, then you're not following Jesus. If you drove in a car that didn't break down on the way to church, you're not following Jesus. I don't believe that at all. The question is, are you being obedient? Do you see needs and meet them as much as you can, or are you pulling the, I got to pray about it card a lot? And once again, I know you can't help everyone, but can you help someone? Can you do what God is asking you to do? I want to talk more about justice for just a second. This is really key because I think the way we understand justice and the way we understand this topic in general affects how we will look to the world. And I think there's a lot of misunderstandings, and even in this room, probably a lot of different opinions when it comes to justice. And once again, God is a God of justice, and so we have to get this. We have to get this right so that we can actually be a a testimony of God's love to the world. And so I want to talk about two different perspectives on this. And in fact, if you want to totally nerd out on justice and what biblical justice is, I want you to go and Google uh, Tim Keller's piece on biblical justice, and it's phenomenal, but uh, it's really long. So give yourself an hour. But it's really good. But we're going to kind of talk about two specific parts of the way that we view justice. And so let's put that slide up on the screen. I want you to kind of think about where you're at here today and what camp you might find yourself in. So we've got the individualism camp and the collectivism camp. And now, now you might be over here in the individualism camp, and so your belief is generally that you are the product of your choices. So when you see somebody in a situation, you're like, well, you did that to yourself. Have you ever said that? That she did it to herself, you know? Or, or this is the classic one, you made the bed, so you sleep in it, right? So you got to sleep in it. Maybe you think that about yourself too. You're like, well, I made the stupid decision, so now I'm reaping the consequences. And so you think in terms of personal freedom, like, like you have the freedom to make your life great or to make it terrible. It's pretty much all on you as an individual to make those decisions. On the other side is the collectivism mindset, which believes you are the product of social forces and structures. So less of it being about the decisions you made, but more about the decisions that other people made and the systems that are put on all around you that have affected the situation that you're in. There are social forces. There are family forces. Like some of you, you didn't, you didn't decide to, to grow up in a house with, without a dad or without a mom or maybe with no parents. Uh, you didn't decide to be brought into the society that you're brought into that does affect you and and so you're focused more on power. Power is, is what this is about. Power is how we make change in the world. People in power are the ones that can control the outcome of other people's lives. So you might be anywhere on the spectrum, more of a collectivist, more of an individualist. I would say uh, if you're Alaskan in the room, you're probably somewhere off the map over here. Let's be real. Because we are very, very individualistic as Alaskans. Very independent like, pull yourself up by your bootstrap, you know, like, stop crying, ain't nobody got time for that, fix your problems, you know, like, you can do this, just take care of your issues, you can do this on your own, kind of, we are definitely, like, that kind of culture, and so we will tend to lean this direction, and so as I preach, I'm kind of preaching at you a little harder, by the way, uh, because I know that's generally the crowd that's here. Now, there are positives and negatives on both sides, let's talk about those for a second. As an individualist, the positive is you believe that we're responsible for our decisions, which we are. Nobody made that choice to say that thing that you said or do that thing you did other than you. Like, you made that decision. And so the Bible is full of this, too. Like, there is individual responsibility. You have to own your stuff. You have to say, okay, I am part of the the trauma that I found my life in. I have contributed to the trauma that I'm experiencing. The negative is this. It minimizes the power of outside forces to affect our lives. Once again, there are things going on around me that have shaped me. And and those things do matter. And there's a part to play in all of that. For the collectivism side, and the positive, outside forces affect justice. This is true. I just said that. Like, there are outside forces that affect whether or not we're caring for people. Again, we look at things like uh, the foster care system, which is broken as it can be, is, is a system. Uh, we look at care for widows, right? Or, or we just talked about that in the text. Like, we do have systems that affect how those people are cared for that in many ways are better than when James wrote these words. The negative is it minimizes the power of the individual to change their circumstances. 
So if you land too far on this side, maybe you tend to blame everyone else for your problems. Or maybe you tend to go, well, you know, I can't do anything because I'm stuck in this structure, stuck in this system, and maybe you can do more than you realize. So anyway, that was a big flyover, but here's the point. Biblical justice doesn't fit into either one of these camps, and they're both broken. There are things wrong with both sides, and it turns out that, 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 that we can't even come up with a system today in our society with all of our technology and all of our education that's better than what Jesus shows us and what God has already created for us. And this text came to my mind that it just made me think of the mindset we tend to be in, especially as individualistic people. Uh, back in Genesis 3, as sin entered the world, what happened was injustice entered the world. Oh, cell phone, that's cool. Uh, injustice entered the world. So, injustice. Little distraction, sorry, I can't. I can't just like move on. So there's this moment in Genesis 3 where uh, you've got Cain and Abel, if you know that story, where uh, Cain murders his brother Abel, and when Cain is confronted, here's what he says in Genesis 4. He's confronted with, where is Abel your brother? And here's his response, and I feel like this is many times our response to situations of injustice. I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? Has anybody ever said that one before? Now, this, this is a really telling question. This, this really kind of identifies where our hearts are at when it comes to people around us. Is like, am I my brother's keeper? Here's the deal. As you read through the whole arc of the Old Testament, what you realize is that the answer to this question is a massive, emphatic yes, which rubs us all the wrong ways. Because once again, like, I, you know, I'm a self-made man. I work hard to put food on my table. I made hard decisions. It's all about me. But once again, we don't realize how much of that was God's grace on our lives. We never realize that. And so when that's your mindset, you tend to be really hard on people and probably don't lean in when you should to give justice to someone. So I think there's two realities that we see in this that I want to cover as we, as we close this out. And the first is this, that we experience God's love best by living generously toward the marginalized. This is this idea, once again, of corporate responsibility. That there is a corporate responsibility for God's people. That we're responsibility, responsible for each other, even to the degree, as we read the scriptures, that we're even responsible for sin. That when you struggle, I struggle. Like, like, like when, when you feel good and when, when you're doing what God is calling you to, I get to share in that joy. And when you're struggling and walking in rebellion towards God, I get to share in that as well. Again, that rubs all of us, you know, deep red-blooded Americans wrong because we are individualists. But there is a corporate responsibility. And we see this is, this is God's system for his people throughout the Old Testament. And I'm going to give you a few examples. The first is gleaning. If you know this thing, gleaning in the Old Testament was this idea that if you own land, the middle of that property would be harvested, but the edges and the corners would not be. Can you imagine if you're like driving through Nebraska and it's like that? It's like farmers have this big cornfield, there's corn everywhere, and they just harvest the middle and not the edges. And the idea was the edges were there for the, the needy and the poor to walk through and to, to get what they needed. And this was God's system for his people. This was his way of caring for, this like kind of their welfare plan, right? This, their way of caring for the, the people in need. There were systems to help the poor in God's society, and even this like kind of blows my mind compared to what, what we think of today. They would give 10% of their income to the priest to be used for worship. 10% also would go to plan these big festivals and parties that they would plan every year because God's people love to party. So that's, that'd be a great party budget, ACF. Everybody gives 10%. And then 10% every third year would go to the poor. So that's 30%. Some of you are like, I think 10% is really hard. 30%. Like time to step your game up, I guess. I don't know. But this is what they would do. This was the system. And, and again, God's people did a massive ministry to those around them. Widows were cared for. So that same widow that would lose her husband, what happened is that that husband's brother would come in and would actually take that widow into his family and would care for her and even would, would probably give her the house and the stuff that his brother had. This was completely... Uh, just revolutionary in their society. And I just want you to see that because 
I know maybe you read the Bible and you're like, man, this thing looks so old-fashioned and doesn't seem like uh, it elevates the, the, uh, the, the, the care for women, but the Bible is, was revolutionary in its time. Women were worthless in their society, completely discarded and uncared for. And when Jesus shows up and cares for women, has women that are following him and part of his, his circle of friends, like, man, it, it blew people's minds. It was scandalous the way that Jesus cared for women in their society. And so certainly there was care for widows. Lots of other stuff. Systems for fair pay, you know, that like if you were a business owner, you would actually care for the people that worked for you. You felt a responsibility for their families, right? There were court laws so there could be justice in court when there was something to be figured out. There's the year of Jubilee, which is crazy. Every 50 years, all debt was forgiven. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. No more MasterCard debt, right? No more Visa debt. Every 50 years, debt was forgiven. Slaves were set free. Land was given back to its original owner. You're like, well, that's not so good. Maybe, I don't know, but this was a really beautiful system, and it was all intended to remind them that everything they had came from God. It was all just a gift to be held just for a short time, to be leveraged for his kingdom. And all of these things, what you should notice is that all of these things, they're not fair at all. Like if, the thing is, sometimes we get stuck up on, on fairness. Maybe you look at God once in a while and you're going through something hard and you're like, God, why isn't my life fair? Why is their life like this and my life isn't like that? And we, we shake our fist at God. But I think that that indicates a misunderstanding of who we are. And here's what I've understood as I read the scriptures, is that God is not fair. He's just. Which to that, the church should say amen. Amen. Praise God, because if God were fair, we'd all be dead. I mean, we, we need to not look at God and go, God, why can't you be more fair? We should look at God and go, why are you so just? Why are you so loving to me? Yeah, I want more. Yeah, I wish my life were easier. Yeah, I wish some of the things that I can't do, I could do, or I look different on the outside. God, I, I wish those things, but God, I don't want fairness because I deserve nothing. And the way you see yourself, this is so important, don't miss this, the way you see yourself and the way you see the justice of God will have a direct, direct impact on how you can enact justice in the world. If you see yourself and you're like kind of entitled and you think, man, I deserve so much more than what God gives me, there's a good chance that you will not live a generous life. But if you see your life and the fact that you sit here today as a gift from God, you will live a generous life. You'll start to naturally be that kind of person. Second reality that I think comes from this text is that we love people by teaching them how to live. So the first part was that we experience God's love best by living generously towards the marginalized. That was that idea of corporate responsibility. Now, we love people by also teaching them how to live, which is the idea of individual accountability. Do you see that there's this beautiful blend of these two things? It's not just, hey, just give everything to the poor. I know a lot of you worry about, I don't want to enable them, right? But again, that's the delicate balance and the beauty of biblical justice is it's a blend of those two sides. We both believe in corporate responsibility and individual responsibility. And in fact, the scriptures are clear about this. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. You Alaskans will like this one. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. There it is. It's in the Bible. You can use that on your 16-year-old when they don't want to get a job this summer. He's like, you're not eating, kid. You don't work. You don't eat. So I'm, I'm trying to balance this out, right? So there's, there's both sides of this. There is a certain amount of accountability there that like, hey, you do make decisions that you're responsible for. I want you to see that, but I'm also not going to let you starve, right? Like, I mean, you would praise a parent for helping a child understand this and going like, hey, you need to get a job. But if that kid died of starvation, you'd be like, terrible parent, right? Like, that's, that's not the point, the point is we want to teach people also how to live. We want to care for them, but then teach them. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Notice what he says to do next. Baptizing them, right? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So when you make a disciple, the next thing is baptism, right? And then teaching them, this is important, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus says, hey, go make disciples, 
baptize them, but then don't just kick them out the front door and say good luck. Then teach them, right? Go with them, walk with them. That's what discipling is. It's literally, disciple means learner. So for someone to learn, it means that they need to be with you. You need to spend time with them and and invite them into your life. And then this text in James moves on. I'm going to close with this. He says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So true religion is caring for the needy and marginalized and then keeping yourself unstained. This is really important that you understand what this means and what it doesn't mean. What this doesn't mean is that you should go and isolate yourself from everybody that's broken. Because God forbid that you get some kind of somebody's filth on your holiness, right? But that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. Is that we don't go around the world going, man, I I don't want to be stained by by, by dirty people. That's the society Jesus walked into. The religious leaders would see somebody, a leper, a prostitute, and they they would walk on the other side of the road. Jesus shows up and he says, hey, I want to sit down with you. Because it turns out when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, when Jesus is is in you, that you don't get dirty by their sin. They actually get healed by the holiness that's in you because of Jesus. That, That it flows from you into the broken, right? So this idea of being unstained by the world in this context, this idea of the world or the world order, it's the word cosmos. He says, don't be stained by the way that the rest of the world lives. This selfish, self-centered, I hope somebody else does something type of perspective. Don't be stained by that. He's literally saying that to neglect the needs of others is to be stained by the world. How do you know if you've been stained by the world? It's, it's, it's when you can just walk by a need. It's when you can just kind of wave at the neighbor and go, man, I just, I'm off to church. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they have any sort of faith or any sort of hope. To be able to live your life in that way, neglecting the needs of others, is an indication that I'm not living according to the kingdom of God, but according to the kingdom of this world. I love what Martin Luther says. He says it this way. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is ultimately worth nothing. So what do we do as a church family? We want a true religion, a real religion. So as we as a family sponsor children in Burkina Faso, which is uh, one of the poorest uh, countries in the world, we're, we're trying to live a true religion. We're trying to care for these kids. As we as a church do the free oil change and impact Eagle River every year for single parents and foster families, this is us having a true religion together. And again, I know that 50% of you are new, but every time we do impact Eagle River, I'm going to be really honest with you. Every time we do it, I'm excited for those who show up and a little disappointed. Because we probably have 30, 40% of people who show up on that Sunday, and the rest of you, I don't know what you're doing, but something else sounds better that day. So I'm just going to be real with you. Like, you got to go, okay, so this doesn't happen all the time. What's, what's got my attention? Why don't I want to lean in when I see a need that I could meet? What is it that causes me to be like, I'm just going to pass? I've got better things to do. And you got to go, like, is my religion real? What is my excuse? Because God knows our heart. In every other way, whatever we do, when somebody shows up and they're like, I can't pay the power bill, and they legitimately have a real struggle, a real problem, and we as a, as a church leadership get to use our care funds that you have given to actually pay somebody's power bill or pay their, 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 their rent for the month and just get them through another month. We have a whole system that we, that we bring them through, and so it's a vetting process. We don't just give that stuff away, but when we do... It's such a blessing to care for people. And that's you guys being generous to others. So why do we do it? Again, how do you see yourself? Are you entitled to better things and to all the things that you have? Or has God given you those things to give away? Romans 6.23, if you're a church kid, you know this verse. It says, for the wages of sin is death. So if you're wondering what you deserve, there it is. If you have sin in your life, which I have in my life, what I deserve is death. I deserve eternal separation from God. I do not deserve to be preaching today. I want you to know that. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen to that.
So whatever you have is not because you deserve it. It's because God is gracious. It's a free gift, not something that you've earned. So what's your next step today? How do you move forward? Would you pull out your action card? Now, this is just something we do as a church family so that we can kind of move forward together. And all we do is we just text you uh, a way to move forward with this, this, this week. We just encourage you in that. And uh, this is just a reminder so that we don't go to church and waste our time and leave completely unchanged. So, in fact, right now, if you're somebody who's getting baptized today, I want to encourage you just to head back here in just a second as well. But maybe you need to begin with a real relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you're like, yeah, Brian, I've been thinking about my faith, and it's, uh, it's not real. I've got a lot of good excuses. I tend to feel like they're rock solid, but I just, I don't really care for others well. And if I'm honest, it's probably because I don't really know the love of God. Maybe that's you today. You want to begin a relationship with Jesus, and we want to celebrate that with you. Maybe you want to receive God's love freely this week. Have you been trying to, to change your life without receiving his love? And if that's you, maybe you just give that up. You're like, I'm going to stop just trying to change my life. I'm going to receive his love and see if my life changes. Maybe that's you today. Do you need to serve someone with greater needs than yourself? As I started talking about the vulnerable or the needy, did someone pop in your mind? Somebody who you've been, you know, praying about helping for way too long? Maybe you need to do something about that today. And last, maybe you just need to get baptized today. I just want you to know this. Every time someone gets baptized, they do ministry in this room. Someone else will be encouraged in their faith to take their next step because you were courageous enough to take yours. And so if that's you today, I want to really encourage you to take that step. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us as we move on and and worship here today. God, thank you for the church. Thank you so much that um, all we have is a gift of grace. Father, forgive us for moments where we felt entitled or felt like we deserve more than we get. God, we deserve death. We deserve separation from a loving, holy God. Everything good in our life is not from us. It's from you. And that being the case, God, would you show us how to give those things away? Would you show us how to give compassion the way that we've received compassion? Would you show us how to give grace the way that we've received grace? Would you show us how to give of the the resources that you've handed to us? God, that we might be the kind of people that the city notices, a people of justice, not a people of fairness. God, forgive us for abusing your grace, just assuming someone else will do it. God, forgive us for disqualifying ourselves from the blessing that it is to be part of someone else's story. And more than anything, we just realize today, God, that everything that we have is a, is a free gift. Help us to fully receive that from you today. Help us not to fall into empty religious behavior, but to simply live from your grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.